Yes, yes, do not adjust your dial. Do not flip over. All is quiet in the realm, and I apologize, but Mark Talk is back for another edition of Mark of Thrones because, well, we got some stuff to talk about. Uh, right off the bat, though, yes, uh, apologies. I know I've, uh, for, the, for those of you that do listen, I've been kind of uh, away this past week. Kind of a crazy week, and then just amplified by a crazy weekend full of stuff. Um, to answer shortly, yes, I have seen Avengers Endgame. I have seen it thrice now at the time of this listening. Probably going to see it a few more times. It's fantastic, and we will talk about it. And I really needed a whole weekend to process how I felt about that movie because there's a lot happening and there's a lot going on. And my emotions were all over the place. So give me a break. What do you want? But then with uh, with Game of Thrones, you'll notice I didn't do a recap of episode two for this latest season. And that is all chalked up to me just kind of forgetting. Yeah, I forgot. And then I got busy. And, uh, you know, so I didn't do it. And now here we are, and then by the time I remembered, it was uh, it was time for episode three, so, you know, I had to watch that, and I've had to watch that one a couple of times, because, again, a lot to process in that episode. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, mental gymnastics and emotional uh, uh, movements going on this weekend, what with Avengers and this latest episode of Game of Thrones, a lot of stuff to pack in, but we're going to discuss it. And so since I didn't get to do a full episode rundown of uh, episode two of Game of Thrones, I figure, you know what, I'm going to give you my overall thoughts on what I, how I felt about the titled episode, uh, A Night in the, of the Seven Kingdoms. And then we'll jump right into my thoughts and review on uh, this latest episode of the series titled The Long Night. And man, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, fret not for the, uh, for the endgame stuff. We'll have... Uh, that's coming. I promise you I will do an episode about it. Um, I could do a spoiler-filled episode where I really break down my thoughts on how because it's really hard to talk about that movie without spoiling it for people. And I've had people coming up to me and just to straight up tell me, you're like, you know what? I don't care. Just tell me what happens. I don't care if you spoil it. And, and I just can't do it. I, I can't be that guy. Because what if I say something and suddenly, you know, it just by the time they watch the movie, that, that moment, certain moments of that movie just doesn't have the same impact as it should compared to, you know, you know, if you went into it completely fresh, I want you to have that experience, that fresh experience. I want you to enjoy the film as it's meant to be enjoyed as an audience member, unspoiled, untarnished, and just, you know, it's more fun that way. I want you to have fun. I want you to. I want you to feel things in that movie. Uh, all the things 
that's possible for you to feel. But above all, I want you to have fun. And frankly, I feel like spoiling this movie for people is not fun. If you really, really don't want to... I mean, if you really don't mind spoilers that much, all you got to do is get on the internet. Spoilers galore. And speaking of spoilers galore, I was having a really, real hard time with uh, this latest episode of Game of Thrones because people... I guess we're just now in a position to where if we watch an episode of TV that everyone's enjoying, we're just going to go ahead and live tweet it. Every action that happens, every scenario, like as soon as it's over. And I'm just not about that. I I like to be a little bit vague. I'll, I'll get into spoilers about the episode via social media after the episode has had time to breathe. Give it at least 24 hours for people to get caught up. Or, you know, hell, 48 hours, even better. Just give people time to enjoy it. But that the problem is, that's that's the risk you take. Uh, I always tell people, if, if they're not going to be able to watch uh, Game of Thrones in the time that it comes out, I say straight up, stay off of social media that day then. Stay off of it the entire day and the entire night. And maybe, probably, don't get on it until uh, you can actually watch the episode. Just stay far away. Because if you don't, someone will spoil it for you. Because people just don't care. But if you want to get into it as fresh as possible, I mean, the, these are just the things you have to do. Uh, this this is just uh, this is how it goes. It's unfortunate, but that's the culture we live in. So, you know, I had a problem with people doing that. But, you know... It is what it is. You're not going to stop people. It's not going to change anything. It's just the way it goes. So, having said that, I'm about to dive deep into uh, Game of Thrones Season 8, Episodes 2 and 3. Uh, I'm going to try to get to them uh, in you know as chronological as possible. I'm not going to do a lot of ton of jumping around because that will mess me up. So we'll get into it. We're going to get into it, and this this will be, once again, full of spoilers. But at this point, if you've watched this Sunday's episode, then you've already seen episode two, I would imagine. But if you haven't, fair warning, that's uh, <laughs> this episode's going to be full of it. So, a knight in, se- in the Seven Kingdoms, a knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Well, right away, we, we you know what, we can just talk about that. We didn't know, uh, they're doing this thing in HBO where they're not giving us the title of the episodes until after the episodes have already, uh, shown. I think that's kind of a stroke of genius. That way, when you go into the episode, you're not making an assumption of what you think this episode's going to be. You're just going to enjoy the ride, and when it's over, then you look back on it and go... Aha! Of course that's why they called it that episode. And so episode two, titled A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, we get to see our favorite bodyguard, our our kick-ass, badass bitch, Lady Brienne, get knighted. And I know uh, sometimes that can be a confusing thing because uh, some people were asking, well, wait a minute, I thought she was already knighted. Even though she's a woman, isn't, isn't she technically a knight? 
And she says it in the episode because uh, our favorite wildling, Tormund Giantsbane, who survived his ordeal uh, running into the dead at the last hearth in episode one, he has made it to Winterfell. And even Asprian at one point, like, wait a minute, you're not a knight? Why not? And she tells him, women can't be knights because it's tradition. And he gives probably the best uh, retort in the entire series, which I think uh, is is probably the <laughs> the 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 simplistic uh, the most simplistic statement that we can all agree uh, the show should follow, which is fuck tradition. Because think about it. In all of the show, at what point did tradition get anybody anywhere? The traditions that are set up within the uh, the history of the show, of the series, has done nothing but cause a lot of damage, a lot of harm, and just overall, it's just made the realm really complicated. The tradition of... Uh, 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 who, who is, who has a claim to the throne comes to mind. The rightful claim. Like, well, what is the rightful claim? You know? Because remember, you could say that House Baratheon has the rightful claim. Stannis built his entire, uh, his entire arc was based on the fact that his brother Robert, the king, had no legitimate heirs so that the throne would pass on to Stannis when Robert died, which he did. And so Stannis' whole mission, the, the Iron Throne is mine by right, and I will take it. And if you base it on traditions, then he was absolutely correct. And yet not once did he sit on the throne. But then if you go even further back with traditions... The Baratheons usurped the throne from the Targaryens. The Targaryens were the the seat of the throne for 300 years. And then you got to go into uh, the whole backstory of the Targaryens. If you've been reading the uh, recently released published work, uh, Fire and Blood, which is a history of the Targaryen Empire. This is volume one. Then you get a lot of uh, where T- House Targaryen began and and ha- w- their rise in Westeros and the comings and goings and the uh, the things that transpired. It's it's actually a really great book, but I'm a little frustrated because <laughs> I look at George R. R. Martin and go, "Really, man? You you couldn't have finished The Winds of Winter, the next book in the ongoing series? You had to give us this this book about the Targaryen dynasty that." While interesting, we ultimately didn't need right now. Alright, I guess that's how that's going. But it is a really cool, in-depth look at uh, the rise and what would ultimately be the fall of the Targaryen dynasty. And I'm assuming Volume 2 will we'll dive heavily into the more uh, fallen aspects. But, Traditions are kind of a problem in this world. So, 
Tormund says the thing that's on all of our minds as audience members and on the minds of, uh, you know, the people in the show that at least uh, understand how things should work. And that's fuck tradition. Because tradition has not helped us so far. So like I said, Tormund Giants Bane and what's left of the Night's Watch and... Sir Beric Dondarrion, they've all, they've made it to Winterfell. They, 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 uh, took a detour coming from the wall, from Eastwatch, from Castle Black, wherever, and, uh, they've, they've, they've beaten the army of the, of the dead to Winterfell, and they came to warn Jon Snow and Daenerys that the, the dead, they're coming. And anyone who's not in Winterfell now, they are already gone and they are part of the Army of the Dead and it's a sticky situation. But that's the situation we're in. And he also says, hey, you know what? You've got about a day and a half before the Army gets here. So, okay. But before he arrives, we have to uh, acknowledge the real story of the episode, like the real, the nitty gritty of it all. And that is Jamie Lannister. He made it to Winterfell as well. And as I said, probably many episodes ago, or my, uh, my speculation about what we were, what we were going to see in this new season. We saw at the end of season seven that Jamie decided since Cersei uh, uh, completely lied about sending her armies to the north to help. Jamie said, "Well, I promise to help, and if you won't do it, then I will." So he rides off alone. He's got no army. He's got no backup. He's just one man with one hand, as Queen Daenerys points out. And I mentioned that. Jamie's going to Winterfell. He is not going to be welcome. Because why would they? Why would they welcome Jamie Lannister? The North, with the exception of two, maybe three characters that we know, they don't have the same uh, feelings about Jamie as we do. Because we've seen Jamie's arc, we've seen where he goes, what he's been through. We've seen the change that he's made as a character, as a person. But the rest of the North, they don't know that. And they don't care. The only thing they know about him is that, well, he's the top Lannister. He's the one we've been... He was our captor once. We've been fighting House Lannister this whole time. We got destroyed in the Red Wedding in part because of him. Now, it wasn't entirely his fault and not entirely his doing. That was his father, Tywin. But Jamie had a hand in it. No pun intended. <laughs> but then, you know, there was betrayal and all that. But the point is, the Northerners don't like Jamie. Of all the Lannisters they could really not like, other than Cersei, it's Jamie. So I knew it. I, I said, if he shows up in Winterfell, they're not going to welcome him with open arms. No, they're probably going to shackle him and then uh, probably throw him in a dungeon right away. 
But alas, they did not do that. Instead, they gave him a small trial. A trial that uh, headed by Daenerys herself. Because she straight up tells him, You know, I heard stories about you. But the main story I, I keep remembering is the fact that, Oh yeah, you killed my father. And you basically are responsible for bringing my house down. Now, we know Daenerys has no love for her father because she knows what he was, the Mad King. And we know that she's, she has no love lost for her, uh, her forgotten brother, Viserys, because he was a monster. But it's really interesting that she throws these facts back at Jamie's face that my brother told me the story of the man who killed our father and what we would do with him if we ever uh, won the throne back. It's interesting that she words it that way. Because she shouldn't hate Jamie. She didn't even know her father. She's only grown up on, you know, stories about who he was. And she's acknowledged who he was now. She's made peace with it. But still, still she's got to think, but if I still had my family, I wouldn't have had to go through all this horrible, horrible, horrible shit that I've had to go through. I wouldn't have had to become a conqueror. Maybe I wouldn't even be the mother of dragons. I don't know. But I, the, uh, the, this journey to get to Westeros, this journey to get to the throne, it wouldn't have been such a perilous journey had my family still been around. And so I think in that regard, that's why she looks at Jamie with such disdain because here's the man that really brought it all down for her. But of course, we know why he did it. And he tells her, look, I did what I did for the good of the realm. And even Tyrion tries to defend him, but Daenerys doesn't want to hear it. She do, she's, she's not listening. She says, no, no, I don't need to hear this from you. I'm already pissed at you because you've been making mistakes, and that's unacceptable. So our good buddy Tyrion, poor guy, he, just, he can't catch a break with his queen. <laughs> it's understandable to see how Daenerys is kind of taking everything really, really harshly. She is a Targaryen after all, so she's going to have a temper. All Targaryens do. She is, as they say, blood of the dragon. But she's not incorrect in feeling the way she feels because, well, she's no closer to winning the throne because of all these mistakes. And not to mention this, this uh, oh, you know, this little side mission of uh, we have to defeat this massive army of the dead. Yeah, that's an undertaking. But Tyrion's trying. Because Jamie's, you know, the only family he's got. He doesn't consider Cersei family. No, not anymore. Not really. Especially now that Jamie's come down and revealed, hey, uh, yeah, Cersei lied about that army thing. It's just me. It's just me because I made a promise and I'm going to keep it because 
you know, Jamie doesn't say it out loud, but we know what he's thinking. Say all you want about me. Call me Kingslayer if you want. Call me Man Without Honor. Call me all this shit. But at the end of the day, when I make a promise, I fucking keep it. And he does. And he says, I'm not going to apologize about fighting the Starks. Because even Sansa gets in there and goes, yeah, you know what, Danny, you're right. We shouldn't trust this guy. He sucks. He's responsible for uh, the death of my family as well. And Jamie says, look, yeah, I fought your family because we were at war. And that's what happens in war. People die. You know, things get bad. My hands are super unclean. Well, guess what? Your family's hands were unclean as well. I was fighting for my house and my family, same as your family was doing, just on the the opposite side. So I'm not going to apologize for that, but I still am trying to do the right thing, whether you believe me or not. And all seemed kind of lost for Jamie. It's it's it was it was kind of coming to fruition like I had predicted. Like, yep, here we go. They're gonna throw him in the dungeon, and they're probably gonna keep him in there till they deal with the uh, the army of the dead. And then if they manage to survive, they'll probably behead him. And that's a shame because that's not how I thought Jamie was gonna go out. But then who should speak up for Jamie? But Brienne of Tarth herself. Brienne is not an outspoken character. She's loyal to a fault. But she doesn't speak out of turn because she knows better. She's been taught better. She understands the way the hierarchy works. She doesn't question it. She even accepts the fact that she's probably a better knight and a more honorable knight than any other knight we've ever seen in the show. And she's not even a knight. She can't be a knight because she's a woman. So all of a sudden, she decides, if no one's going to speak speak up for Jamie Lannister, I'll be the one to do it. I will tell them what I know and what I believe. And she straight up tells them, if you don't trust him, you can trust me. And she's mainly talking to Sansa about it, but she she addresses the queen. She says, "Look, you may not know me, but but Sansa does. And here's what I have to say. That Jamie Lannister, if not for him, I would have been brutally raped, probably murdered. He spoke up for me and prevented that from happening, and he lost his hand because of it." Also, my whole mission was to find the Stark girls and protect them. I would not have been able to do that had I not been armored and not been given this Valyrian steel sword. Called Oathkeeper, by the way. Sansa would be dead if I hadn't gotten here with, with all this stuff, and that wouldn't have happened if Jamie Lannister hadn't set me free to do it. And at that, that's that's the moment when Sansa kind of gets shaken. She goes, oh, oh, wow, really? Shit. All right. 
And it takes her a moment, but but it's a good moment because she goes, you know what? If you're vouching for him and if you would stand behind him in battle because I trust you with my life, then if you say he's okay, then ah, all right. You say he's okay, then he's okay. And that's good enough for me. And it's good that Sansa came to that quick conclusion because, you know, if there's anyone that Sansa does not need to question when it comes to loyalty and where they put their trust, it's Brienne. She's earned it. Of all people in in this series who has earned the trust, who has earned the right to say, Hey, actually, you need to listen to me. It's Brienne. And I guess to an extent Sansa too, but see, there you go. Them trusting each other. And even John, they ask, well, John, what do you say about all this? And John just keeps it real. He goes, we need every available man we can get. None of you seem to. Un- th- that's the thing about John. He's he's the only one who's who's thinking outside the box. Who's the, the only one who's looking at the bigger picture, the the true picture, which is, hey, we need to survive. We can figure out the politics and all this stump. This is bullshit. Later, we need to think about living. And in order to do that, we need an army. We need people who can fight, who will fight, who will ensure that we all survive. We need help. Because that army of the dead is just growing in numbers every second. And we only have so many people. So, hey, you know what? Don't kill him because he's a fighter. We need him. And that's that. They don't arrest him. They don't throw him in a dungeon. They uh, gray worm with a little bit of shade. Hands him back his uh, sword. And that's it. Jamie is free and clear in Winterfell to roam about. And, you know, of course, he has this great moment with Tyrion in the courtyard where they, they meet up and they're talking about, yeah, here we are. Can you believe it? We're back in Winterfell after all this time and we're defending it. And, you know, all the all the Northerners are, are staring at us and scowling and spitting at us. Wouldn't it be funny if, if Tywin were alive to see where we're at now? It's a great moment. It's a great moment because you, you, you miss those moments with, uh, with Tyrion and Jaime. You, you don't get a lot of them. You always hear about how they're like best bros... And they are, I mean, they're brothers, but I mean, they're best bros. Tyrion, even even when Tyrion is at his lowest, he says, there's no one I trust more in the world than Jaime. Because he knows that without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what happens, at least Jaime will be the one constant in his life that he knows everyone else might hate me. Even Jaime might be mad at me on occasion, but he's not going to kill me. Because I'm his brother, and he's my brother. We're brothers, and we've always been thick as thieves. And I can assume Jamie feels the same way. I mean, like, who, who else 
can Jamie possibly turn to? Cersei's crazy. And he's head over heels for her. His sister, by the way. (laughs) We know, we know. And that's weird, but who possibly could Jamie turn to other than Brienne now, but his his whole life, it's been Tyrion. And now here they are, right at what seems like the end of the world, the end of the world as they know it. And the Lannister brothers are back in Winterfell, not since season one. It's poetic. Of course, not everyone over there sees it that way, but... You know, you just, beggars can't be choosers. We get a great moment of Jamie saying, you know, I'm not the fighter I used to be, but Lady Brienne, if you'll have me, I'd be honored to serve under you. He's a knight. He's a former Kingsguard. He he was once considered uh, to be, he was the heir to Casterly Rock. And Brienne, as awesome as she is, is not an official knight. And he says, I would be honored to serve you. That's beautiful, man. That's that's him acknowledging. And they even have a back and forth where she goes, what are you doing? We, we've never had a conversation where you haven't insulted me in between comments about whatever. He's like, I'm not going to insult you. Why would I do that? Because he respects her. Dare I say, he even loves her. He doesn't... I don't think he's in love with her. Obviously, he can't be because he'll never get over Cersei. That, I think, is the tragedy of Jaime. I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I'll keep mentioning it now, and we can get into that later if we need to. The tragedy of Jaime is that he's stuck between a hard place and, well, whatever place he's in now. Cersei, I think, will be the death of him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a beautiful moment because he does love Brienne. He loves her as a person. He loves her as as a warrior, as an honorable, not even a lady, just, just as an honorable person, a human being. She represents everything a knight should be. Everything that he always uh, was taught that a knight is. Everything he always wanted to be since he's been knighted. But he knows he's not. He's broken so many of the knight's vows. He even says it to Lady Catelyn in season two. He goes, there's so many. Because no matter what you do, you're always breaking one vow for another. It's too much. And there's always these rules and exceptions to the rules. And there's always these little, uh, 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 there's, there's the fine print that nobody's reading. It's too much. At some point, you just got to choose a side. And then he meets Lady Brienne, who, despite all of it, all of the, the, uh, not the black and white issues, the, the, uh, the shades of gray, because that's what this world is, just just shades and shades of gray. Even through all of that, she has maintained consistency at being the only knightly person throughout the show. Uncompromising, unyielding. 
Here, here, Lady Brienne. And thus, we get to a moment where it seems like this is probably our last night in Winterfell, you guys. So let's all, uh, we, we've, we've gathered round, we've, we've had a war council meeting, we're discussing strategy. The strategy is, you know what, Bran's gonna stay in the Godswood and lure the Night King to him because the Night King's gonna come after him. Okay, well, we need to guard Bran. Well, we can't guard Bran because that would look suspicious and the Night King won't come out if that's happening. So we have to make it look like he's uh, 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 more or less unguarded. That's the plan anyway. We've got dragon glass. We've got, uh, we've got dragon fire. We've got a massive army. Maybe this could work. We just have to play it safe. So we go about our separate ways, and we're going to spend our last night Winterfell. What are we going to do? Well, some people just kind of uh, have a nice hearty meal. Theon Greyjoy's come back. He's come back to Winterfell because he wants to fight for Winterfell because Winterfell is his home. He might be a Greyjoy, but as John, John, as John told him last season, you're a Greyjoy and you're a Stark. Always remember that. And so he's come back from saving his sister. He's left the Iron Islands behind. He said, I'm going to fight for Winterfell if you'll have me. And Sansa doesn't even say yes or no. She simply embraces him. And that's a yes. Because much like uh, John's mentality, we need every man we can get. But more than that, Sansa loves Theon because Theon saved her life. Theon got her out. When Theon was broken and he was just simply reek, he managed to find his inner strength and get Sansa out of the Bolton's captivity. He got her out. And he got her to Lady Brienne. And and Sansa's okay. And Sansa hasn't forgotten, she's not forgotten that, nor should she. And all is well because Theon is back and she can trust Theon. Again, it's poetic, it's beautiful. So they share a meal together, they're just, you know, they're not even talking, they're just having a silent meal and they're chilling. But then. We've got a nice, uh, you know, in the Great Hall, we've got a fire going. It's cold out. we got a fire. we got the two Lannister boys having some wine, reminiscing about the past. And Lady Brienne and her squire, Podrick Payne, join them. It's like, join them. Let's, you know what? We, we're not going to be able to sleep. Just come have a drink with us and just, just hang out. Okay. And Sir Davos Seaworth... It's like, no, nah, I'm just here for the fire, but I'll hang out for a bit. Tormund Giants Bane <laughs> gives us a delightful story about his younger days when he killed a giant and then he and he crawled into bed with a with a lady giant who thought he was her baby. And so she suckled him at her teat. And that is how Tormund Giants Bane got so strong. Quote unquote giant's milk. And if you didn't laugh at him chugging that giant horn of what I assume is soured milk, 
I mean, that goes on for like a solid 15 seconds. It's it's crazy. It's so funny. But they're all chilling by the fire and they're uh, you know, they're just kind of speaking their minds about what's what's going on like we're going to die, but we're going to die together. What's better than that? Dying with friends and having a drink before that. I'll tell you what's better. What's better is, you know what would be great? Lady Brienne needs to be a knight. But how does one become a knight? Well, a king can knight you, of course. And then Jamie points out, you don't have to be a you you don't you don't need a king to knight you. Any knight can make another knight. And it's almost as if why didn't I think of this before? Jamie takes out his sword and he says, "Kneel," because he is a knight, as I've said. And she's reluctant at first because you know she thinks they're they're joking. And he's like, "I'm not joking. Come over here. Do you want to be a knight?" And so she does. Kind of surprised. She's she's surprising herself about how much she really wants that. I mean, that's that's like her. That's been her life goal is to be an honorable knight in a world where they said women could never be knights. And time and time again she's she's displayed how she's probably one of the best if not the best fighter in Westeros right now. Why shouldn't she be a knight? And the rest of the boys they're they're on their feet and they're watching, they're paying respect as she kneels and Jamie knights her. I can't remember the exact wording, but, you know, he does the whole, you know, in the name of the Father, I I charge you to be brave, you know. And he says, Arise, Brienne of Tarth, a knight of the seven kingdoms. They give her a standing ovation. Sir Brienne of Tarth. And then she does something she hasn't done the entire series. She smiles. And a big smile, too. She's cheesing. She's straight up cheesing. And you can see the glimmer of of happy tears in her eyes when it happens. Because, my God, she she achieved her dream. This was her dream, to be a knight. This was something... This is history. No other woman in Westeros has ever been a knight. She's the first. And she doesn't even let the idea deter her from the fact that this is probably my last night in this world and now I'm finally a knight it's a shame no one else will get to see it nope she doesn't even go there she's simply reveling in the moment I am among friends we've all been having a drink sitting by a fire as people do as normal people do that's another thing she in that moment she is treated as an equal. She has never been treated as an equal in her whole life. She's always had to fight and claw her way to be considered an equal among among men, among women because women look at her as too mannish and men look at her as a woman, well, just a woman, a big woman. But it's like, "Hey, eh, you're a woman. You can't you're trying to be a knight. That's laughable." But no one has treated her so much as an equal. 
with the exception of Jamie. And even Jamie, that one, she had to, (laughs) she basically had to beat the respect into him. But she got it. And he knights her. And then they all, all of them are, are so, so thrilled for her to be, to be knighted. And she is thrilled with it. She's, she is treated as just an, just an equal. It's, it's great. I'm getting, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. You know, she's treated as an equal. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And I'm so glad I actually placed all my bets that the name of this episode was going to be called Kingslayer or something pertaining to Jamie. But nope, rightfully so, a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms because it's all about Brienne. Because she has earned it. More than anyone. And we get this nice song sung by her her squire and our uh, our he he's he's becoming quite a swordsman. We get a little sn- snippet of the training regime and he's training other people. It's like, look at you. Look how far you've come, Podrick. But they're sitting around the fire after the nighting. And Tyrion says, "Somebody sing a song. So, well, let's let's hear a song or something." And Podrick takes uh he takes the lead. And it's a great song. If you look up the lyrics about uh, 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 Jenny and... Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name and I apologize. But it's a song that if you pay attention to the lyrics... Sort of reflects everything that's happening within the show. Within the series. And uh, it's kind of foreshadowing. It's really, really interesting. If I could remember it all right now, I would I would totally do it. But uh, I'm just trying to, you know get through it all you guys and we end the episode with a moment in the crypts Jon Snow has been avoiding Danny this whole episode he won't even make eye contact with her and why well because he knows the truth Samwell revealed the truth about who he is who he truly is and it's not sitting well with him because he believes Danny is the queen. Even though he has... We talk about who's got claims to the throne, who's, who's more in the right. Well, as of right now, it's John. John has more of a claim than any of them. Does he want the Iron Throne? He's given us no indication that he, he would ever want it. I'm willing to believe he doesn't want it. Will he have it by the end of it all? Who's to say? But you can tell he just doesn't feel right about it. And he's this whole episode, he's, he's dealing with everything going on, but he's still processing this new information. And we find him in the crypt. And unlike his usual uh, crypt visiting days, where he's basically paying homage to Ned Stark, his... Uh, well, he thought was his father. This time, he's staring up at Lyanna Stark, his former aunt, now revealed to be his mom. And Danny joins him. And she asks about Lyanna. And John finally tells her the truth. Here's the thing. Your brother Rhaegar did not kidnap her He didn't rape her. 
he loved her. He got his marriage annulled, and then he married her. And just before he died, and just before she died, she gave birth to a baby and gave it to her brother to raise as his own. And my name is actually Aegon Targaryen, the sixth of his name. And that does kind of, uh, for us book readers, that's sort of a kind of that's that's a that's a wishy-washy detail that we still haven't seen the uh, uh, the full. Like we're not uh, we're not sure. We're not we're not sure about that yet. The the rev- the uh, details are still murky. But for argument's sake and for the show's the show's sake, Aegon the sixth, and Danny's not happy about it. Saw that coming. She's not happy. She going, who even told you this? It's like, well, Bran did. Bran sees things, and then Samwell confirmed it because of uh, you know books and stuff. She said, well, that's convenient. Your <laughs> your brother and your best friend told you that you're the actual uh, heir to the throne. Little strange. And she's right to be weary of that. You know, she's known betrayal before. I think she's thrown because this never would have ever entered her mind that this could be a possibility. Especially not with John. John is... It's it's John. She has a moment with Sansa where they speak alone and she tells him... Or she, she tells Sansa, like, I love your brother. I love... That's why I'm here. I didn't expect to be here, but I met him. And, you know, just one thing leads to another. Now I'm fighting his war with him. But now she's not so keen on on John right now because he's just revealed to her, Hey, guess what? I'm your brother's son, and I'm the heir to the throne. But their conversation is uh, cut short because... We hear the horns of winter blowing three times, and you know what three horn blasts mean? It means the walkers have come. And sure enough, our last shot, there they are. The army of the dead has approached, and they are coming for Winterfell. So, you might say this episode was underwhelming, you could say that, and you'd be wrong. Because this show, this episode went back to what the show really is. And it's giving us the dynamics of the relationship of these characters that we've known for so long. And that we've, we've come to love, come to hate, come to be frustrated by, and then come to love again. Character interactions. That's what makes this show so, you know, so incredible. Oh sure. Dragons, the magic, the the battles, the political intrigue, yes, all of those things too make the show go round. But it's the character reactions, it's the development of the relationships between them. That's what we stay for. Oh, and did I mention Arya finally gets her new weapon that she asked Gendry, the blacksmith, a.k.a. Robert Baratheon's bastard son, to make for her. She goes, you know, 
this could be our last night in the world, and I've never been laid before. So, what do you say there, Gendry? <laughs> and what's poor Gendry gonna do? Gendry, I'm pretty sure he, he when he first met Arya, he knew she was a girl, even though she was disguised as a boy, he knew. But he never had the hots for her. It was more like older, and I know this, this is going to sound horrible too. It's like more of like a older brother, younger sister thing because you know they were they were different people then. And even when she when he finds out who she is, I think he develops new respect for her. It's like, oh my god, you're a lady. Like you grew up in a castle and everything. So, oh geez, I gotta I gotta straighten up how I talk and act around you. To which she says, "Shut up." And right before he gets taken away by the Red Woman back in Season 3, he decides, I'm going to stay with the Brotherhood. You go back home to Winterfell. And she she goes, no, come with me. He's like, well, I I can't because these these guys, they're a Brotherhood. They're a family. I've, I've never had a family. This is my chance to have it. And she says to him, I can be your family. And ultimately, he says, well, you wouldn't be my family. You'd be my lady. His lady in the sense of my lady. She'd be the lady of, you know, she'd be the lady over him, so to speak. But I think in that moment when she tells him, I could be your family. He, there's something there. There, There's a little spark. You can see it in his eyes. Something happens where he's just kind of like, wow, that's, that's really great. That's, that's. There's something there. Like I could, you know, I could, I really could, I could grow to love Arya. Maybe not in the way that you know we might think, but just in the way of like, wow, she's there's some there's something to this girl. And so when they see each other again, it's kind of like, oh, well, you grew up. I was like, yeah, so did you. <laughs> like, okay. And I think he's uh, he's attracted to the fact that she is now like this no-nonsense, just capable badass who's throwing dragon glass like darts. She knows what kind of weapon she wants. She's demanding and she's just not, she ain't scared of anything. So when she says, look, this is our last night in this world probably, so I want to know what it's like. And it take it it doesn't take much convincing, you know. He he kind of hesitates for a second, going, "Uh, I mean," and I think he does that because he's still Gendry, the blacksmith. He's still uh, lowborn, and Arya is a lady of Winterfell. So he's got that whole thing of I don't think I'm worthy to do that with you, but. She, she, you know, she puts the kibosh on that real quick and just like, take your pants off and shut up. So there you go. Arya is officially a woman now. <laughs> and as funny and as maybe uncomfortable as it, as it is, because look, we've seen the actress Maisie Williams who plays Arya. We've, we've literally watched her grow up. But bear in mind, folks, she's 21 years old, maybe 22 now. 
She's an adult. So you got to look at it from the, from that perspective. Now, in the show, I think her age, it, it doesn't matter. Things happen at younger ages in this in this realm. We we can't harp we can't harpen on that. It's it, we 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 can't stay on it. We have to move past it. It's fine. It's fine. And also, look, imagine you're a teenage girl, you're a teenage boy, and imminent death is approaching. What would you do? What would you want to do for your last night in this world? Can't say that a blamer. And the army of the dead, they've approached. And thus, we end A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. It really is a beautiful episode. Now, I, had, I rewatched it like five times. I, I rewatched it because the more and more I kept thinking about it, the more I really appreciated all the things, hap- the little intricacies happening. Jorah speaks up for Tyrion when uh, when it looks like Danny's gonna fire him from being Hand of the Queen, and it's Sir Jorah, the the man who was supposed to have that position. He says, "Nah, you know what? You need to give him a break because he's still the smartest mind that you have, you know, in your in your council, in your army. You need him." And it's Sir Jorah that suggests. Maybe take it easy on Sansa as well. You need to understand the perspective here. I'm a northern person, so like I understand where they're coming from. So let me let me just maybe slightly give you some advice and like go go have a conversation with her. Find out find common ground. Maybe you'll find Sansa's not so bad. And maybe you'll see uh her perspective of where you know she's coming from when it comes to you. And then we get a fantastic moment, an interaction where Jorah is talking to little Lady Lyanna Mormont, the, the, the Lady of Bear Island, the little little firecracker. He's saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't fight in this battle because you're the future of the house. And she goes, I don't need you to tell me that. I'm well aware and I'm not going to cower because I'm a fighter. I'm the Lady of Bear Island and that's all there is to it. I'm fighting. And he doesn't push the matter further because... He knows better. He knows. But she does say to him before walking away, she goes, I wish you good fortune, cousin. She doesn't want him to die. The past is the past. Jorah has has suffered uh, the dishonor that he brought upon his house, the shame. But he's not that guy anymore. He, he, has, he has since redeemed himself. And he's here to fight for the living, to fight for the north. He hasn't been north in years. But here he is, back home. I think Liana respects that. Like, okay, okay, I got you. And in that same scene, Samuel Tarley gives Sir Jorah the gift of a Valyrian steel sword, Heartsbane, the the uh, House Tarly Valyrian steel sword. He said, I can't hold this upright, but you, you can wield this, and I'd be honored if you did. And you can tell it's like, it's a heart-moving moment for Jorah, because he just, he doesn't know what to say. But he says, I'll wield it in honor of my father to guard the realms of men. Ah, that's beautiful. 
and he charges on the front line with the Dothraki army, because Jorah's the only one that can speak it, other than Daenerys and, uh, I think, Masunde. Nobody else can speak Dothraki, but Jorah can. So there he goes, front of the line, with the Dothraki, with Heartsbane, and as we come to find out, Ghost. Ghost is in the front line. But the army's here. And we're, we'll take a little break, and we'll go into the devastation that was episode three of this season of Game of Thrones here on Mark Talk's edition of Mark of Thrones. And we're back to Mark of Thrones here on Mark Talk. As I just got done explaining to you all the things going on in uh, episode two of this season of Game of Thrones, now it's time to dive in to episode three entitled The Long Night. So this is it, man. This is the one. This is the, the, the very thing we've been setting up since literally the first episode of the series, if you remember that uh, the little prologue, the little prologue scene where we uh, we meet members of the Night's Watch and they're going out beyond the wall, doing ranger stuff because they're rangers, and you know they find that uh, that little that little spot in the uh, in the forest where uh, they find a lot of uh, corpses and and pieces of people all strewn about and put into these uh weird crazy symbols that the uh white walkers are known to do and uh unfortunately we lose our uh rangers with the exception of one one gets away and if you'll remember that's the one that makes it all the way to winterfell and of course ned stark has to behead him for being a night watch deserter but he says to him, look, I know I broke my vow. I deserted, but I know what I saw. It, it was White Walkers. So, you know, do what you got to do. <laughs> I think that kid was so damn scared that he, he preferred to be dead. He's like, I don't, I don't want to live in a world where I know those things exist. So, yeah, go ahead. Behead me. <laughs> and we really, we kind of take a break from all the uh, White Walker business for a long time in season one because season one's not about that season one is setting up who are our main players in the game of thrones and you know it's season one so it's the starks it's the lannisters it's the uh the baratheons and all that jazz and of course you know daenerys across the narrow sea what's left of House Targaryen. But every once in a while we get little uh little drops of little little nuggets here and there uh beyond the wall or you know the things happening over there and to to remind us, "Hey, by the way, there's some weird shit happening over here. The White Walkers, they're a thing. Uh we get we get a look at uh the whites which are the you know those zombies touched by the white walkers that come to life and their their eyes turn blue and you can kill them with fire. At the time we didn't have dragon glass and we didn't know valyrian steel worked either so all we had was fire. 
but we never see the White Walkers again in season one. But uh, the point is, we've been setting this up that the White Walkers are coming. Winter is coming. They are the personification of winter, you could say. And, you know, with them, they bring the cold winds. They bring death. And you could say it was a slow burn, but, you know, what are, they, what are you going to do? They had a wall to contend with. They can't get past that wall. It's only until last season we see, oh, here's how they get past the wall. They knock it down with a, with a magic dragon fire, ice fire, whatever that blue stuff is. I'm just going to uh, imagine that it's, it's so incredibly hot that it feels cold. You know, when you, when you rise the temperature of heat, it turns blue. Let's just pretend it's that, right? That, that's that's the uh, Viserion uh, ice dragon fire, frost fire. Call it what you will. But now it's time. They've made it past the wall. They have re-entered the realm of men. The White Walkers have not been below the wall for thousands of years. But now it's time. They've made it. They have, uh, they just keep adding numbers to their army. And they've made it to the, to Winterfell. And now this episode, we just get, we, it's, it's actually, there's not a lot of dialogue in this episode because really there's not a lot to say. There are no words necessary because what can you say? And you gotta imagine that for a lot of these people in this army, in this northern army, essentially what is left of the north they don't necessarily I don't know that they entirely have believed John's story this whole time John they elected king uh, I'm sorry they elected John king of the north and this whole time he's been preaching that look we need allies we need to build up a giant army because look the army of the dead is coming and that's the true war because if they win we all lose i mean we just you can't defeat the dead i mean that's it doesn't matter who's on the iron throne none of that matters what matters is surviving it's all about survival and he's been he's been preaching this the entire time and his decisions that he's made uh to to go a treat with the Targaryen queen who's arrived in Westeros that everyone said don't do that that's not trustworthy Starks don't fare well when they travel south he says you're right but hey I gotta do it because maybe she could be an ally if if it's to be if, if it's true that she has dragons we might need that and also she has a large army we definitely need that I have to at least try and ask for help, shouldn't I? So he does. Not only that, you know, he he just he has to convince her, please help us fight the army of the dead. And we know what happens. It, it takes some convincing, and everyone thinks Danny's being stubborn. Is like, well, of course she's being stubborn because she's been fighting so long for this particular goal to get back home to Westeros to be the queen of the Seven Kingdoms. And then here comes Jon Snow, who uh, she just would imagine 
would bend the knee. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that, but I really need your help of fighting this uh, massive army that's coming to kill us all, by the way. So please help me. Because if you don't, then we'll die. And then you'll die, and everyone's dead. Why Why does nobody listen to John? He's, he's not, he doesn't even care about the Iron Throne. That's the thing. He doesn't care about being king of the north. He's going to accept the position because they all elected him. And he said, okay, I will, I will do this if this means that I can protect my home, which is the north. And in order to do that, you all need to listen to me when I tell you that we are in danger. So fine, I'll be king of the north. And then he meets Danny and she's like, bend the knee. He goes, no, I'm not going to do that. We'll figure all that out later. But really, right now, we need to worry about this. Forget Cersei. Matter of fact, we should probably go talk to Cersei and be like, yo, can we put this whole uh, squabble for the throne on hold for a second? Because I keep saying we are going to die. Nobody wants to listen to John. Not until it's too late. And even when he does that really terrible mission to go beyond the wall and just grab a white to bring back with them, I don't think that was a brilliant move. I, I, don't, I don't think that was uh, uh, the best strategy. Did it work? Ultimately, yeah, but at what cost? Well, I'll tell you, the cost, it cost a dragon, and it cost us Thoros of Mir, uh, the red shirts uh, that, were, <laughs> that were on Eastwatch. Our main players bail- that that went be our suicide squad that went beyond the wall barely made it out, but that was thanks to Danny who arrived with the dragons, and she even says to uh, uh, Cersei and Jan- you know her men, "I didn't believe it until I saw the army," and she saw him, and of course once you see it, now you know, you have to see it to know. <laughs> believing is seeing clearly but she saw him and she says you know what Jon Snow you're right I will help you because that army is a problem and I certainly can't rule if uh, I know that this massive army of the dead's coming down and John said you know what though you, you thank you I appreciate that I'm gonna bend the knee anyway because you helped me you you went out of your way to to save my life and it was awesome and also I've kind of got the hots for you so let's uh let's just let, let, let's be allies and uh when it's all said and done I will bend the knee because you've earned it you've earned my respect you've earned my trust she says okay it's for the greater good. But, you know, the other northern people are like, well, what the hell, man? You were our king. We elected you king, and you, you just bend the knee. You're making the mistakes your brother made. As they would put it, you you, you fell for a, for a, for a, <laughs> I don't even want to say it. It's so bad, but this is like you, you fell for a foreign whore. I believe somebody called her that. And of course, we as the audience go, what that? You watch your damn mouth. You don't talk about Daenerys Targaryen that way. But the Northerners are nothing if not salty bastards. I think we've uh, covered that. I think that one's made very clear. 
But John has to school him again when he comes back to Winterfell. And he said, you know, back in episode one, he's like, look, we needed allies. I told you that. I have been telling you this for a long time. We needed allies. And guess what? I brought allies. I brought the most massive army you could ever imagine. And uh, maybe not three dragons, but I got two. And Dragonglass, the very thing I went to Dragonstone to meet the Dragon Queen about. About allies and Dragonglass. We have it all. What else do you freaking want? What do you want from me? I think if I'm Jon Snow, I'm, I'm sick and tired of the northern people. I'm sick and tired of them because they, they're, just, they're so wishy-washy. They're a bunch of two-faces. You know, they got they're talking behind John's back to, to Lady Sansa. They're like, maybe we should have asked you to be our leader because at least you're here. Yeah, she's here doing what? She's keeping Winterfell afloat. She's trying to make sure uh all the all food is accommodated for, for everyone. Of course she doesn't account for the massive army and she makes that very clear. She doesn't account for the dragons, but still She's trying to hold it together, but but even so, she's not really making a strong attempt to defend John all that much because she doesn't believe what he's doing the right thing either. It's like, we just got our home back, and you just bent the knee to this dragon queen? And he says, yeah, I did. Because she helped me. She saved our lives. She brought dragons. She brought an army. She brought dragon glass. We need all of it. To fight this battle, and she's like, "Yeah, you're you're just in love with her." It's like you just you just you knelt for a pretty face, and John just you know, if I'm John in that situation, I roll my eyes and just go, "I can't even with you." <laughs> it's not until this episode when all of those, uh, all of the doubts, all of the whispers, all of the the eye rolling, the the scoffing, is put to rest because. They finally see this thing that John has been preaching about for a long time. And that's the massive army of the dead. They finally see it. And they finally see why it was a problem, why it is necessary for John to make these allies to get this massive army to help fight the battle of... I mean, it's the battle for the dawn. Yeah, and now they're like, oh, 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 God. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, having these Unsullied here defending us wasn't such a bad thing. Maybe the Dothraki army being at the head of the, <laughs> in the front line, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing, but we gotta, we gotta mention that. Ah, uh, the poor Dothraki. Front of the line, they're like uh, the Marines, the first ones in. Because, you know, arguably they're the best fighters. We even get a reappearance of Melisandre. Don't know where the hell she came from, but she just shows up. She goes, hey man, uh, all you Dothraki, uh, put up your swords. Like, lift them up. And she proceeds to put a spell on, on their swords and they all light a flame. So now they got their... Or they're not even swords. Like It's what those like those hook uh, blades that the Dothraki use. I can't remember what you call those things. Um, I'm sorry. Apologies to my, to my D&D nerd brethren who absolutely know what those are called. And I'm, I'm just... 
not thinking clearly. But she sets him ablaze. So now, now you got Dothraki men uh, with 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 f- f- flaming swords, and they charge into battle. They charge into battle with both Ser Jorah and Ghost. But it's heartbreaking when you see the lights just slowly extinguish. Every one of them just slowly extinguish in the background as they approach the army of the dead and it's like pure dark. And that's when you know we just lost our best fighters. We lost them. We witnessed the decimation of the Dothraki horde. There's a few that get away. Ser Jorah gets away. We find out later in the preview for the next episode that Ghost gets away, but we don't see Ghost anymore. So that was kind of, uh, that was that was um, not very not very fun to witness. A little disheartening. But we lose them. The army comes forward, so it's up to the Unsullied to hold the line to. Uh, uh, keep the army at bay until they can get the uh, this massive trench filled with uh, spikes and dragon glass we gotta we gotta light this trench on fire but the problem is the one to light the trench on fire has got to be one of the dragons and the dragons have taken flight and just as they were going to uh, attack the white walkers head-on because they're hanging back, they get swept up in this giant blizzard, like wind, like the winds, literally the winds of winter, and they can't see. They're thrown off course. They can't, uh, they can't do anything. And, you know, Daenerys can't see the signal to light the trenches. Jon certainly can't see it. So Grey Worm gets the bright idea. You know what? I just saw that red woman light the Dothraki uh, blades on fire. Maybe she can set fire to the trench here with her magic. And there's a great, great moment where he does. He's uh, he leads uh, a small group of Unsullied to uh, clear a path and protect her so that she can get to the uh, to the trench and set it aflame. And it takes her a moment. Because it's not working, and she, you can see she's she's starting to doubt her ability. Like, oh god, what are, what's wrong? What's wrong here? I got like this needs to happen. <laughs> she looks worried, and then right at the last second, it sets a flame, and uh, now we've got a barrier between Winterfell and the army of the dead. But does that stop him? Hell no, it doesn't stop him because the Night King he's uh, he's he's hiding up in the air on top of uh, the ice dragon. Gives a little hand motion. It's a great shot of him just like like raising his hand. You just you don't you really see his face. You just see the silhouette and the blue eyes glowing. <clears throat> he just raises his hand, and what happens? Uh, a few a few pawns in the army of the dead. They just kind of lay their bodies on top of the flames, and they create sort of their own uh, man bridge so that the rest of the army can cross it without getting burned and now we're in trouble like okay fuck we gotta let's close the gate let's get inside the 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 hold fast and uh let's let's uh stay behind the castle walls but they're climbing up the walls they're they're piling bodies on top of one another like world war z 
So now we've got to defend the uh, the walls. We got to man the walls. All of our top players are up there manning the walls. We lose Dolores Ed, the uh, the last Night's Watchman standing. We lose him, protecting Sam. So Sam's got to man the wall. He's got to fight. Jamie and Brienne, Podrick, even Grey Worm, and Ser Jorah. Meanwhile, we've got Danny uh, and John, and they're trying to—they're trying to stay uh, non-discombobulated because the the winds have thrown off the course. I think uh, Drogon and Rhaegal ran into each other in the air, and they're like, "Oh shit!" Okay. There's a great moment where they both fly up so high that they they uh, uh, they go above the clouds, and we see the night sky for the for the first time, and the moon. And see the dragons just flying around like where the hell did the Night King go? And he just comes up from behind him, or from underneath, within the clouds, shooting blue flame, and he's like, Ah, I gotcha. It doesn't work, of course, but it, very close. He very, very nearly gets Daenerys. And at one point, John on top of Rhaegal f- just finally makes connection and attacks. And it's Rhaegal just chomping and scratching at his dead brother. Viserion but if, but uh, Viserion gets a good scratch in uh, as well but I mean Rhaegal puts up a good fight and then from out of nowhere Drogon takes a huge bite right out of its neck doesn't chomp his head off but it bites him hard enough to where now the ice dragon's got holes in his neck so when he's trying to conjure flame, it, you, you see it kind of uh, uh, the flame sort of spark out in the, from the holes. But, you know, he's undead, so he's, he's, he's still kicking. But that sudden impact from Drogon attacking uh, caused the Night King to slip, and he falls, he falls off. It's a long fall, too. We don't know how high up in the air they are. We can imagine it's pretty damn high. So he falls off. John ends up crashing from Rhaegal, and Rhaegal goes off somewhere, and John falls off as well, but he's okay. And Daenerys has a standoff, a great moment where a standoff where she's on top of Drogon, and they're looking down, and there's the Night King looking up at her, and she says the magic word Dracarys. And Drogon lights the Night King up with just a serious fury of flame. And you're thinking, oh my god, she did it. She freaking did it. Did she do it? John's not too sure. That's why John kind of like rushes in and gets as close as he can to to that spot because he's not convinced. And then it's made clear why he's not convinced. Because, and here's the thing that nobody's thinking about. I know Bran said to them he wasn't sure if Dragonfire would work on the White Walkers because no one's ever tried. Because, you know, dragons have been gone for so long. But here's the thing. There have been multiple examples of the White Walkers not being affected by fire. Matter of fact, when they get close to the fire, the fire, uh, it, it fizzles out. The White Walkers are not affected by fire, not like the Whites. Maybe it's the magic, it's the fact that they are just the uh, dead, cold, 
they, like I said, they they are death. They are winter personified. So the flame, the heat from the flames, just just aren't gonna do it. So I had a feeling that that dragon fire wasn't gonna work, and sure enough, the fire fizzles out a little bit, and we see Night King still standing there, looking up at her, and even smirks. Something we've only seen him do one other time, and if and if you blink, you'll miss it. It's when he finds uh, the three-eyed raven in season six. And he's walking towards the tree, and he, if they, there's a there's a short close up of him uh, as he's walking forward, and he, and he's got a smirk on his face because he has found the three eyed raven. He's he essentially his biggest enemy because he wants to wipe out the world and its memories, and the three eyed raven is the world's memories. So that's his ultimate enemy. So there he is, smirking at Danny because, hey, your dragon fire didn't work on me because why would it? And he, you know, he attempts to to throw his uh, his ice spear at the dragon to say, hey, I'm gonna make me another one. But Danny has the good frame of mind to uh, <laughs> to Amscray. She gets Drogon out of there. And John takes it upon himself to just to charge, charge at the Night King. And he's like, you know what? I'm ending this. But Night King hears him coming. And it's like, oh, you. Okay, cool. Well, you could do that. Or, and he raises his hands. And we know what that means when the Night King raises his hands because he's surrounded by corpses. And, you know, more meat for his army. And John, we we see the look in John's face when he when he realizes what's happening, and John charges at him even faster. You know he's got he's got to get to him. He's got to get to the Night King before he can finish that spell. Got to do it. But of course, by the time he gets close enough, <laughs> the the dead all around have already risen. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And John's you know he's got nowhere to go. Now he's got to deal with all the whites, and you know. The Night King's like, yeah, you guys take care of that. And he just walks away. Heading to the Godswood to meet Bran. Because that's who he's after. But a moment in the battle that we have to uh, pay homage to. So the White Walkers, they've, they, you know... They climb the walls, they they infiltrate, uh, they get past the trench, they've infiltrated the castle... How do they do that? Well, for one, the doors get blasted off because remember, the the army of the dead have uh, have at least one or two giants in their army, so one of them gets through, and he's just wrecking shop. Nobody can really fight that thing. They don't know. They, they they don't know how. They just they don't. The archers aren't there. They can't shoot the arrows full of dragon glass at him. He's just he's just decimating everything he sees but then little lady Liana Mormont she's been knocked back so she's hurt but she sees this thing and she she realizes she's got the best chance anybody else does right now and she's a fierce fierce little lady as we know she's a Mormont 
the little bear. She's not going down without a fight. So even though she's hurt, even though she has little to no chance at all, she charges. The great moment, she charges at this giant white and she's screaming with all her northern fury. And it looks like maybe, maybe she could do it. But then the giant white notices her and the giant white catches her. Doesn't even doesn't even knock her away or hit her. Just catches her with his hand and picks her up and you hear bones crunching and he's just going he's just going to crush her with his hand. And it's just oh it's so sad because this 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 little girl who's one of the, one of the most badass characters we've been introduced to just from her her wit and her directness and just her her fire, her fury, a uh, uh, verbal fury. And there she is getting crushed by this giant white, but she still doesn't give up. And she plunges a dragon glass dagger right into the giant's eye, and she's done it. She, t- she has taken down the giant. She's the giant slayer at the cost of her own life, but she still, she does not go out like a punk. She goes out like a hero. Little Liana Mormont. The lady of Bear Island, cousin to Sejora. But unfortunately, she was the future of the house. And with her gone, well, House Mormont, uh, it's, well, that, that's in question. So speaking of House Mormont, at one point, Sejora, he's fighting inside Winterfell, and he, he, he hears a cry of Drogon or of one of the dragons. He hears like a strange cry and he he has a look on his face. He's got a he's got a weird feeling. And you see him take off. You don't see where he goes, but you see him take off. Cuz he's worried about something. And we'll get there. But as our main players are are manning the wall, they're they're trying their best. They're trying so hard, but there's just too too many, too many in the army of the dead. And they reach the walls, and they get up above, and you know now they got to fight them. Sandor Clegane is freaked out by all the fire and all the all the whites. You know he's just he he's freaked out. He's he's vis, vis, visibly scared. He is he just doesn't know what to do. Even Sir Beric is like pleading with him, like, "Dude, come back here. We need you. Like, fight with us. We need you to fight." And he's just like, "No, dude. We can't win. We're fighting death, and you can't beat death." And in the midst of all of that, you know who is fighting death and beating it? Arya Stark, our little faceless man, little assassin. She's got her new weapon Gendry made for her, her little staff with the dragon glass, and she's just, I mean, there's a shot where she, in, in probably 30 seconds, she takes out 20 whites. There's even a moment where Sir Davos looks like he's gonna get involved in fighting, and he looks over and there she is just destroying whites left and right and he's like oh okay <laughs> because he admits he's not a fighter he'll fight when he has to cuz you know he's a survivor but he's not a he's not a good fighter he's he's not good he'll tell you he's he's made that a fact but he certainly didn't think uh, this this little girl who he's just met would be such a capable fighter he's in he's in shock and awe but of course we're not because we know. We know what Arya can do. But even so, 
Arya, even Arya gets overwhelmed. And she's trying to get away, and at one point a white, like, kind of trips her up, and she gets, her face gets knocked into a wall. And she's okay, but she's, you know, disoriented. And this kind of, like, breaks her concentration. So suddenly, she's like, oh, sh- I gotta get, I gotta get away from this. So she's just trying to escape. She's just trying to, uh, she's not running away. She's just, she's retreating to, to, just to get away from, from the, uh, the masses so that she can regroup. She's not thinking clearly. She, she just took like a bad hit to the head. And Sir Beric notices that and he goes, look, Clegane, we can't beat death. Why don't you try telling her that? You know, look at Arya, look at her. She's still fighting. And Sandor the Hound, man, he, and, he, and he sees it. And he sees Arya and it, he, it looks like Arya's in danger. And, and that, that sight alone snaps him out of it. And you see, we see him just without saying a word. He sees her and he charges. You know, he goes after her. He's got to save Arya. There's a kinship there, you know. He 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 he'll never admit it. He'll never say it. He'll always uh, replace it with some smart-ass comment or whatever. But he cares about Arya. They spent a lot of time together, and even though she did leave him for dead, he understands why, and he respects her as a fighter and as a survivor, as a cold little bitch, as he calls her. He respects it, and you know he just—he genuinely has a feeling of uh, maybe not family, but there's a love there. There's like maybe a big brother love. Like she, she doesn't deserve to die. She's not, you know, she's not a little, she's not a little, uh, she's not a horrible person. You know, he spent his life around horrible people. Arya's not a horrible person. She's angry, and she's grown up angry. He knows that all too well. I think he he feels a kinship because I think he identifies with her in a lot of ways. So when he sees her in trouble, he he can't just he can't hide and cower, and he snaps into action right away. And all of a sudden, now that shot in the trailer that we were wondering about with Arya kind of running through the castle looking terrified, now we know why. We speculated that this might be the reason that she's she's running from the whites. And it's true. What she is, she's running to get away from just this army coming after her. And then it turns into basically a uh, George A. Romero or uh, <laughs> a George A. Romero movie or an episode of The Walking Dead where she is just trying to silently skulk and, you know, uh, uh, get away from these whites who that are just kind of standing around looking for her, waiting for her to make a make a mistake so they can charge at her. And it's super quiet. And, you know, she's trying she's using all the tricks she's learned about about how to be as, as quick as a cat, as quiet as a mouse, you know. And it works for the most part until she, you know, really fucks up. But luckily when she gets overwhelmed, it's at the right moment when when the Hound and Sir Beric are in there and they help her out. And then some interesting things happen. 
We learn what Sir Beric's purpose was, why he had been brought from the dead back from the dead so many times, why he was still alive, what the purpose for him was from the Lord of Light. It was to protect Arya. And he does, and he he helps her th- he helps her then, and he helps her throughout this uh, sequence. Because the whites keep coming and he's fighting them off and they're stabbing him and they're, and they're slashing him. But he's doing it to give Arya time to get away, for the Hound to help her get away. And he's still standing though, even though he's taken so many hits. It's all to make sure Arya gets away. And they finally, all three, manage to get out of the halls, out of the uh, like the library or whatever. And they, they, make, they make it to the Great Hall where there's the, the big door... And they shut off the uh, the whites within, and barricade the door. And then finally, finally, Barrett can 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 take a rest. And he doesn't say anything. He's got no words left. But he looks at her, and there's a moment where it looks like he's smiling because he knows he's like, "Okay, you're safe. This was it. This is why I'm still here." But he doesn't say it. He just. He looks at her and she she looks at she looks like she wants to say something to him but even Arya doesn't have the words and he drifts away And Melisandre's in there waiting knowing that this is this would be a, the moment And she tells Arya he served his purpose the Lord of Light kept him alive for this purpose And then we get the meeting the uh the 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 will meet again moment from season three when Melisandre meets Arya for the first time and she says, I see a darkness in you, and in that darkness, eyes looking back at me. Brown eyes, green eyes, and blue eyes. Eyes that you will shut forever. We will meet again. And this is the meeting again! And Arya even remembers this moment. She goes, I, I remember you, and I remember what you told me. And Melisandre reiterates what she said. She repeats it. But she emphasizes, she takes a pause when she's mentioning the eye color, and she goes, blue eyes. And there's a, there's a recognition in Arya's face when she says it. And as it sounds like the army of the dead are are pounding at the barricaded door and they, they're just they're trying like hell to get through, Melisandre leans in and says, What do we say to the god of death? And Arya remembers back in season one, her her dancing instructor, Sirio Pharrell. He tells her there is only one god, girl, and his name is Death. And there is only one thing we say to the god of death, not today. So Melisandre says, what do we say to the god of death? And Arya says, not today. And then Arya takes off. She leaves. We don't know where she goes. She leaves Sandor and the Red Woman behind. But she's running with a purpose. She has a mission of her own. Something something has clicked. Where does she go? Meanwhile, our main players are doing their damnedest. They're damnedest to to survive. Even Samwell, he's just he is not faring well in this battle. You know, he keeps getting knocked down. At one point, he's fighting, 
just in a pile of bodies. He's just he's just laying down fighting and just stabbing whatever he can because every time he gets back up, he gets knocked down again. But to his credit, he's still living. Jamie and Brienne are staying close by and they're just they've got each other's backs this whole time and it's it's oh those are some great moments. Grey Worm is like one of the last unsullied just still standing. The Crips though. My theory about the Crips was look, the dead can't be reanimated by the White Walker by the White Walkers or the Night King unless they've been touched by them. Meaning if a person has been killed by a white or a white walker in some way, that's the only way they can come back as, you know, one of the undead army. That was my belief. If it was uh if they had died by any other circumstance, then they probably they're not coming back. But I was wrong because stuff keeps moving in the crypts and all of a sudden we get this this Sam Raimi like uh shot of these dead like mummies coming to life in the crypts and they're attacking all of our uh the women and the children and and Tyrion and Sansa and Varys you know they're all trying to get away Tyrion's finally <laughs> Tyrion wanted to fight in this battle even though he was told not to and now he's got his chance he's got to fight in the crypts to keep these mummified uh old Starks away from the women and children and everyone there's even a moment where him and Sansa are hiding behind a, a catacomb or a a, a, a a sarcophagus. And they're just looking at each other because they think they realize, you know what, I don't think we're going to make it. I don't think we're going to make it, and that's a shame. And I'm sorry, you know, as Tyrion kind of, he, he kisses her hand, and he just looks at her and goes, almost like saying, I'm sorry that, I know we got we we had a wedding once before and you know neither one of us wanted it but I was good to you you were you know you're a good person like we it probably would never have actually worked but it's a shame under better circumstances this you know maybe this could have been something one you know maybe it could we could have made it work But it wasn't meant to be. So Tyrion is take, takes it upon himself. He's trying to he's trying to get the uh, the people under there that are that haven't been attacked. He's trying to get them, you know, at least into a safe spot so that he can defend them. It's going to be Tyrion defending all of these people down here. John makes it back to the castle and he's he's seeing all, everyone fight and there's just there's bodies everywhere and John he he he's got to get to Bran. That's his, he you know he tells Daenerys he's like I got to get to Bran. Cuz the Night King's going after him and I I've got to get to him. So he's trying to make his way to the Godswood through the castle but there's just there's too much he's ignoring all of his his friends that are fighting and that could use some help. He he has to he has to ignore them. He has to just press on. He's got to get to Bran. He's got to get there before the Night King does. But he doesn't make it because here comes the Ice Dragon Viserion and he's he's, he's blocking the way. He's blowing blue fire everywhere. He's, he's attacking the courtyard and John's like, shit. <laughs> like, ah. But in the Godswood, you know, Bran's been, uh, he's been using the crow he's been warging into the crows the ravens 
trying to get a trying to see the battle from all angles and he's not really saying much because he's he's just he's waiting the ones defending Bran are Theon and the Ironborn or who's left of the Ironborn that came with him and the whites attack and when it's all said and done Theon is the one to make his last stand and I gotta tell you, Theon, he he just he, he does good. You know, he he just he, he he fights like the the noblest of warriors, and he's still standing. And it looks like maybe Theon's got a shot at keeping Bran safe for a while. But then you remember, well, no, because he's surrounded. And we get a shot of the uh, a lot of uh, the the army just kind of looking at him, like the ones not attacking are just looking at him because they don't need to attack him, because now the Night King and his generals, the White Walkers, they've arrived in the Godswood, and Theon sees them for the first time, and that's when he realizes, oh no, this you know this this is it, this might be it. And Bran comes back from his warging, and he he even says, Theon, you are a good man, and I thank you. And Theon needs that moment, with all the things that Theon did. And he even tries to apologize for it earlier in the episode, you know, to Bran, like, look, I'm sorry, all the things that I did to you, the things I did to to this family. But Bran tells him, everything you did led you to this moment and led you to be here where you belong, home. Because Theon, as John told him, might be a Greyjoy, but he's also a Stark. And in this moment, he has never been more a Stark. Fighting for the Starks, fighting for Winterfell, fighting honorably and nobly. And when Bran says, you're a good man, thank you. That's when Theon knows. That's when Theon knows that Bran has known that this was going to be Theon's moment where he dies. And Theon accepts it. He doesn't look happy about it, but he needed to hear Bran tell him those words. He needed the, I guess, the courage. He needed the encouragement that, hey, it's okay, man. It's okay. If we die here, know that you did not die in vain. Know that your sacrifice means the world. And so he resolves it. And when one final charge, Theon goes in headfirst to the Night King. And he knows he's not going to make it. But he's charging anyway. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment cut short because as soon as he reaches the Night King, the Night King, well, the Night King stabs him. And that's it. But even the Night King kind of looks down at Theon going, you know, <laughs> we, we, we can't really interpret his emotions here. He probably, I mean, he has no emotions really. But we can assume he's maybe thinking, nice try, boy, but this was all for naught. But I respect your resolve. Speaking of beautiful moments, we gotta. I, I can't. I cannot stress enough how beautiful the score 
is, not just for the whole show, because it is, Ramin Dwadi's score is phenomenal. And every season he steps it up. And for this episode, he, he, he's brought back the, uh, the piano and the cello, uh, the emphasis with the, the keys and the cello, kind of like he did for the last episode of season six, right before Cersei blew up the Sept of Baylor. The Light of the Seven is the name of that track, and it's beautiful because we don't usually get a lot of piano in this in the music of the show, but we did in that in that uh, track, and now he's brought it back for this one, and it's just full of despair and longing, and it's just it's and it really hits home because the Night King is just approaching Bran, and this I mean this is the end, this is it. We've lost. The Night King has come to... He, he's found his goal. This was his goal. To wipe out the Three-Eyed Raven. Because once, once the Three-Eyed Raven's gone, then the world's memories are gone. And the world of men is over. And we get shots of all of our main players and they're fighting. They're fighting like crazy. John's trying so hard to get out to the godswood, but he can't. He can't get past the dragon. And our other fighters, they're like, they're literally up against the wall. And they're fighting and they're trying like, they're trying their best. And Danny. Danny fell off a Drogon was attacked by whites and Danny fell off of Drogon and she's just she's alone outside the castle. And when the whites come for her, she is saved by none other than Ser Jorah. Remember when I said he it looked like he he had a funny feeling about something when he heard the dragon call and he and he took off and that's where he went. He took off to go see what was happening and there he finds Daenerys alone. And he is not going to abandon his queen. So he's fighting. But he's he's a man alone. And even though she picks up of a, a dragon glass little blade, and she's trying to defend herself the best she can. We've never seen Danny fight before, and she's never fought. She's never had to. But she's fighting now because she absolutely has to. But Jorah... He is cutting them down left and right, but he is not without... He's not... I mean, he's taking hits. He's getting slashed. He's getting stabbed, but and he, but he's not going down. And there are moments where it looks like, that's it, Jorah's done. He gets knocked down, he gets stabbed, but he still manages to pull himself back up. Why? Because Daenerys is not safe yet. And he is not going to go down until she is safe. That's been his mission. The, his entire journey has been to serve her because he loves her. She can't love him back in the same way, but he, he doesn't care. And he's just not going down. And it's a beautiful moment because of all the things, all the dishonor he brought upon his house at one point, uh, uh, being labeled a traitor being uh, uh, labeled a, you know, just a traitor on both sides to the, to the, to his home, to the north, and then later to Danny when she discovers that he was a spy for her. All of that, in those moments, he is redeemed because he is fighting for the living. 
and he is fighting for her and he will not go down. But the Night King, he's about to win. And he's staring at Bran and Bran can only just look at him for a moment and then look away because, well, all is lost and Bran has resolved himself. If this is the way it ends, this is the way it ends. We tried. The Night King reaches for his his ice blade. And there's a moment where we see one of the White Walkers, uh, there's a, a curious wind blows. And one of the White Walkers looks over his shoulder. Kind of like, well, that's weird. That's not our wind. That's a weird wind. What what was that? Almost as if something brushed past him and he did he just never realized it. And then we we figure out why. Because from out of nowhere, Arya Stark leaps through the air on top of the Night King, but the Night King, he catches her. Because as, as swift and as quiet as you know, as sneaky as she is, the Night King is you know he 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 invented that. So it looks like for the moment Arya is going to catch him right in the back, but he turns around and he catches her, and he's holding her by the neck. And you're like, no, not Arya, no, not in this moment. And as if hearing us as the audience. Arya says, well, she doesn't say it out loud, but she says it in her face and in her actions. She says, not today. Because in her hand, she's got Cat's Paw, the Valyrian steel dagger that Bran gave her. And she drops it from one hand and she she catches it with the other. And the Night King, only too late does he realize what's happened. And she plunges the dagger right into the Night King's chest. And it's Valyrian steel. And he can, he can survive dragon fire. All fire. He can survive all manner of, of, of natural disasters. He is winter personified. He is death. But he cannot fight against Valyrian steel. And just like that, he dissolves. Arya did it. She killed the Night King. And when he goes, his generals go. And then his army starts to go. And Jon, right before being devoured by the ice dragon, the dragon dissolves. It's over. The war for the dawn is won. And Bran looks at Arya. He doesn't smile. He doesn't do. He just kind of looks at her knowingly. Because Bran knew. It's like this is the way we win. This was how we won. And we just get a we get an aerial view of the castle and of, of the the army of the dead, and they're all falling. They're all decimated. That's it. Our main players have survived. Most of them. They don't know what's going on, but they know that 
they're, they don't have to fight anymore. And Jorah, he realizes it. The army has fallen, and thus, so does he. And Daenerys holds him as he goes, and he can't, he wants to say something so bad, but he can't, he can't say anything. And he drifts off to death while she cradles him. And Drogon appears down and wraps himself around Daenerys, protecting her, protecting Jorah. Oh, God, it's so damn sad. So House Mormont, in its entirety, we've lost them. They died fighting, honorably, nobly. Lady Lyanna and Sir Jorah. But our last shot of the episode, we see, Mel- we see Melisandre walking through. She, she's, she's left the Great Hall with Sandor, and now she's making her way outside the castle. And she disrobes. Well, she takes off her, her winter cloak, and then she takes off her, her, uh, her mysterious necklace, her little choker the, with the jewel, that, uh, her glamour jewel. As we know, she is much older than she appears to be, and that glamour jewel keeps her looking young. But she removes it, and she steps out into the winter landscape, with Sir Davos watching her closely. But then when she changes, he his face changes too, because he's never seen that before. But she fades away. And she falls into the snow. And her essence dissolves. And thus, the Red Woman has died as she promised before the dawn. And the long night has concluded. They've won. The North has won the battle. The true battle. The war. The great war. As John calls it. It's over. The threat of the White Walkers is done. Or is it? It certainly seems that way. But now that the, the true fight is over, now, now comes what's left over. They have to pick up the pieces. They have to find a way to gather themselves again. Because now... They have to deal with the war for the realm. Crazy-ass Cersei and her new boyfriend, Euron Greyjoy. They've got the Golden Company. They've got an army. They've got the, the, uh, <clears throat> they've got the Iron Fleet. The North. I mean, who's left? Who is left? The numbers are short. It's a bad situation, but it is one that we are going to have to, uh, uh, we're going to have to resolve in these last three episodes. We've only got three episodes left in the entire show. My God, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster for sure. This episode was on top of the fact that it was the weekend of Avengers Endgame, which I will be talking about later in the week, but Game of Thrones, my God. All raise your glasses to our honored dead for the fallen, for the north, for Winterfell, for House Stark, and for House Targaryen. <laughs>
that is this week's Mark of Thrones. Um, I apologize for not getting to episode two sooner, but things happen. So now I've got you, uh, I've got both my breakdowns of episodes two and three. And now we wait again, the long wait for next week for the next episode. But uh, stick around for Mark Talk later in the week. I will be doing an Avengers Endgame uh, review. Probably do spoilers. The movie's made over a billion dollars now. I'm assuming most people have seen it. We will talk about it. So join me next time on Mark Talk. Thank you.